Hello, my name is Sue Ditta, and this is the Electric City Culture Cast. Every other week, the Electric City Culture Cast takes you inside Peterborough's arts, culture, and heritage scene, simply one of the most vibrant anywhere in the province. Our magazine format features interviews with rising stars and emerging artists. We take you behind the scenes at a wide range of arts and culture organizations in the downtown community and on the Trent campus. We delve into the issues that people are talking about, bring you up to date on the latest news, reviews, and happenings, and provide you with information and advice on what to see and how to advance your own arts practice. We broadcast every other week on Trent Radio, and all of our shows will be available as podcasts. I'm Eva Fisher, EC3's program coordinator. I'd like to give a thank you to Jack Betta from the Kawartha Youth Orchestra for our theme music. Today we continue the Electric City Culture Cast's theater series with an interview with Robert Winslow. Robert is an actor, a director, and a playwright who's been involved in the Peterborough theater scene for almost 40 years. He's probably best known now as the artistic director of the Fourth Line Theater. Sue Ditta talks to him about how he got into theater, how his career has developed, and his thoughts on theater and its connection to community. But before that, we have a trivia question from Robert. He'll give you the answer at the end of the interview. What was the first year that the Fourth Line Theater produced The Winslows of Derivore? Stay tuned to find out. Now over to Sue. And today, we're continuing with our expose of theatre in Peterborough. We have been absolutely blown away by the quality and quantity of theatre production in our city and the number of organizations that are producing live theatre in town. And we have with us today, it is our privilege and honour, in fact, to have with us today one of the city's most outstanding actors, directors and writers, Robert Winslow, Artistic Director of the Fourth Line Theatre. I've known him for a long time. Welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being here. The Fourth Line Theatre, I'm just going to ask you a question, a leading question. Where is it? It's on my family farm, Lot 11, Concession 3, Cavan, Monaghan Township. Um, Was Cavan Township when the theatre started. So it's, uh, my family came there 1840s, I guess, my great-great-grandfather, and then there was my great-grandfather, and then my grandfather, (laughs) and then my father, and somehow it stayed in our family, and my mom died in 1990 and inherited the farm. I don't have any siblings, and I had the idea of starting a a theater company there, and it's the theater happens in the barnyard, basically, with people sitting uh, in bleachers, um, on chairs and uh, watching the plays in the barnyard and in the fields around the barnyard. So your roots are really deep there. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's now it's called settler culture, so not as deep as other roots <coughs> in, this, in this nation. But, That's uh, true. But uh, it's been a while, yeah, almost 200 years, I guess. So you're on the traditional lands, uh, territories of whom? Do you, do you know? I there? think it would be the Anishinaabe, Mississauga. Okay. Um, there were the so many. I'm, I'm working on a project now about the Huron-Wendat and the New France and the Jesuits. And so there were all sorts of nations uh, all throughout this territory for many hundreds and thousands of years. So it's a really rich history. Mm-hmm. So there you are, born and brought up on on the farm out near the fourth line. How did you come to be in theater? Well, I, I was always... <laughs> I think I was always interested in putting on 
a voice, putting on a character. I remember being five or six years old and my cousins coming to holidays like Christmas or Easter. And I remember putting on funny hats and funny clothes and funny voices and making my cousins laugh. It's funny, you know, I'm surprised I haven't done more comedy. <laughs> um, but I, I've, I've always kind of been drawn to that, you know, and even though I wasn't raised in a, in a, in a community or a culture that was particularly, where that was particularly sought out to be a career, I, I just had that kind of desire to be a performer and, you know, from the time I was a kid. And I did some theater in, in high school and uh, a little bit at Trent University. And even though I was very, uh, not modest, I was just, I was just very uh, nervous about the idea of it being a legitimate pursuit. I did, I did kind of claw away at it. A and life kept in the doing theater. It. Yeah, now it's become that for me. You know, I've been involved in theater probably... Over 40 years, and I guess that would be considered almost like that, yeah. That would be a real career in the theater. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> Listen, when you were doing work uh, with Theater Trent, could you, mm-hmm. can you remember some of the plays? Oh, yeah. I remember there were some characters around at that time, like David Ramsden, and I think he, he kind of lured me into doing some plays at Trent. I, I'd gone to University of Toronto, but I was taking some part-time courses there, and I remember being in a play called Dylan that he was in. I remember being in a play called Happy Birthday, Wanda June. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a whole bunch of plays. Uh, th- I think the, there was a Shakespeare I was in, uh, Ben Henderson, Bill Kimball. There were there were uh, so many people. Um, like today, I mean, it's the same thing at Trent today. They're all, there's the Anne Shirley Theatre Company, and there's a lot of theatre going on at Trent. But they, at that time, they called it Theatre Trent, and uh, it was a real going concern. So at Trent University, even even though there isn't a theater department, is it is it possible to gain the education and the professional experience that you need to go into theater? Yeah, there are a number of theater courses at Trent in different departments, like cultural studies, indigenous studies, classics, English, French, and combining those courses that students take with the practical uh, things that are going on at the at the in the companies at Trent, like the Anne Shirley Theater Company. There's lots of uh, there's lots of opportunity for young people to to learn about theater. And uh, you've taught Trent. you've taught at Trent. Yeah, I've been teaching there since 1998. I guess it's 20 years. I've been teaching wow. a third year cultural studies course in acting. Uh, I've got mm-hmm. a course going right now, and then on alternate years, I teach a fourth level course with Ian McLaughlin on uh, and community theater. Um, and uh, we explore different traditions of theater and its connection to community from the, the Greeks right up to present day. Sounds fantastic. So just uh, take us back still a little bit. You graduate from Trent. Mm-hmm. You've been doing plays at Theatre Trent. Mm-hmm. And then how do you get into um, postgraduate work and, and doing theater live performance? Well, professional theater, I mean, for me, it kind of started out with a company that was connected to Trent University called the Magic Circus Theater. Oh, yes. And it was uh, directed and spearheaded by a man, a professor named Alan Ornstein. And, philosophy um, professor. Philosophy and then cultural studies, that's mm-hmm. right. And he created a company uh, for young people to perform the uh, Greek theater, uh, Shakespeare, uh, Beckett, uh, at Peter Robinson College, which at that time, we're talking in the late 70s here, was a real hub of cultural activity. And he had a summer theater uh, created there, and I performed there in 1979, 1980, and 1981. And some of the people that worked with Alan went on to have careers in theater, like Bill Kimball, uh, Ben Henderson, 
Ben actually ended up going out to get his directing degree at the University of Alberta. And after the, my experience at the Magic Circus, I went out there and lived with him and his partner in Edmonton and did theater at the University of Alberta. And then I started getting professional work by auditions. And I was in, uh, I was in Edmonton, and that's where I really became a professional actor in so 1982, 3, 4, and 5. So you started your professional career in acting, but certainly you're well known now as uh, as both a director and as a playwright. How did that transition come about? Well, I had an opportunity. I think it was 1988. The Magic Circus was still going, and Alan was uh, was ill, and uh, they they had a slot to direct a play, and I I had the opportunity to direct a play of Judah Thompson's called Crackwalker, mm -hmm. which I did at Market Hall. Well, now it's called Market Hall. Then it was Art Space. And that was my first sort of experience directing a play, and I really enjoyed it. And then around that time, I started a, a company called East City Productions, which was um, improvisational. Uh, it's like an improvisational soap opera comedy with all these different characters. Uh, David Bateman was one of the kingpins of that of that show, I recall. And that was a ritual for a lot of us. It was. Was that Friday nights? It was Friday nights at 11, and then people would be lined up right down to the street to come to this, this, soap, this, this show called East City Productions which was hap we'd rehearse on Mondays and then the shows would go on on Friday nights and then after um, we left art space we uh, and we went into what became the Union Theatre on Hunter Street mm -hmm. we continued some of these soaps in a different format and then other productions as well but uh, yeah I, the it was a very exciting <laughs> experience the the East City I think East a lot City of shows. I think a lot of people cut their teeth on the East City soaps for Absolutely. sure Absolutely no it was it was really something and uh, Steve Rose did all these videos and some of them I believe still exist of of some of those uh, episodes that we did I I know they do cuz we have the world's greatest archivist Bill Kimball watching out over all our media That's history. right Yep So really interesting crowd of people um we, we had um, Ryan Kerr talk mm -hmm. to us quite a bit. Ryan was involved in the union when yeah. it was uh, going in the uh, early 90s. So the union had a very experimental f feel. A lot of risk-taking went on, but it also had a, a sensitivity and a sensibility around building community and, and working in a community context. Yeah, everybody could do whatever they wanted there. I mean, basically, you know, I think the box office was split 50-50 with the, with the facilities. It was run as a collective, so, you know, so the mm -hmm. money could go to keeping paying the rent and keeping it going. There was even a soup kitchen there at one point. And um, it was a very open, accessible space. And uh, I don't know if you remember, like the early 90s, a recession. I mean, it wasn't really big, good times Things <laughs> in were Canada. Tough in Peterborough, yeah. That's right. And the union started in the fall of 89. I'd been doing a tour with the Blythe Festival for about four months. Mm -hmm. And I came back, I think it was in the end of October in 89, and the union had just opened. And I think over the next couple of years, I must have done around 20 shows in there. Wow. Did uh, Brecht and. Uh, Vice, and uh, we created original work. We created a play about poverty called Frankenstein Meets the Recession, mm. um, and all sorts of plays by all sorts of artists that have gone on to have careers in the theater uh, started there. So, lots of great grounding in, in Edmonton, at the University of Alberta, 
your work here with uh, with art space and with the union. Mm-hmm. How does it happen to open the, the theater in the country at the fourth line? Yeah, it's a number of factors. I mean, I, I think in the early 80s, uh, even when I was still working with the Magic Circus, I started to research a play that I wanted to write about the history of Cavan Township called The Cavan Blazers. Mm-hmm. And that t- I think it was 10 years <laughs> in the making in a way. And uh, I remember uh, going to see Jan McIntyre at the Ontario Arts Council. She was a lovely person, a theater officer. That's right. I was thinking of uh, of starting something out on the farm, and I was so involved in the union. I said, "Well, I I I really want to start this project, but I'm worried about you know leaving the union and all that." And she said, "Well, if the union is." Uh, if it can't if it can't survive without you, then it probably shouldn't survive, which was a really good point, and it did survive. So uh, I got a vote of confidence to strike it on my own and and try to start this uh, company on on the family farm. Like I said, I'd inherited it in 1990. I didn't know how I was going to pay the taxes or keep the farm, and it was just kind of a necessities of mother of invention kind of situation. So you took a big leap. Big leap, yeah. And there was you know, it wasn't a traditional theater space, although I'd always loved working in non traditional theater spaces. Uh, but uh, and here we're doing a play about the um, the local history, and of course, a lot of the theater I'd done over the years had been new Canadian work and works about community, you know, with um, rehearsal in progress with the union. So I had a history of that. I had a history of working with actors from this community. So when when the when the fourth line started in 1992, it was really a massive community project involving a lot of artists from the Peterborough area as well as as local people out in the Millbrook area, townspeople, farmers, uh, young people, uh, people of all ages. I see Eva over there. She was in an early production uh, of the Moody Trail. Eva Fisher, Eva our, Fisher, our program producer. Yeah. So. Um, just let me paint a picture for those listeners who haven't been out at the fourth line. It's a gorgeous rural setting with wildflowers and farmer's fields. And when you're sitting in the bleachers and watching the action of the play, you're looking out over the rolling hills of Cavan. You see the sun go down and horses coming into the barns and farms just behind um, the theater site and um, swallows flying in <laughs> and out of the barn. Yeah. Can you just tell me a little bit about the first play and how how it developed and how that influenced the rest of your work in mm-hmm. terms of developing local stories mm-hmm. for the theater? I mean, the kind of the, the story was a story of kind of religious intolerance and different groups, uh, in this case, Catholic Irish settlers and Protestant Irish settlers to the area in the early 1800s and their conflicts. And, you know, that had been something was particularly extreme in Cavan. And there were people even alive when I did the play who really didn't want to see this play go on because it brought up all these old antipathies. At this time, you know, mm-hmm. the peace hadn't come to Northern Ireland yet. It was still a hotbed of sectarian violence. And so I, gr- growing up Protestant in that township and seeing that there weren't Catholic people and that people weren't encouraged to go out with Catholic people or marry them or do business with them, I thought, what a strange situation. And this is in the 90s? This is in 92, wow. although it's the same time that, say, what the conflict was going on in Yugoslavia, so people mm-hmm. could find contemporary uh, things in, in the world that were parallel to this. And, you know, that theme of, of trying to find tolerance... In, within a kind of an intolerant structure uh, and to try to find reconciliation. And f- in my own work, it's it's certainly been a theme that's continued for me over the last 25 years. 
Um, I've written several of the plays that have been developed, but but other many other playwrights have written plays for us in collective cr creation as well. And now we have a real play development program that you know is 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 kind of countrywide where we get writers. Um, but the basic idea, which was to explore the cultural heritage and the history, um, has never wavered. Really, that that founding mandate is there, and still it's still at the core? it's still at the core, and it's still relevant. You know, I guess your theater only lasts maybe as long as the man people care about your mandate. And I, you know, you think, well, will it, will people be interested in this kind of theater for five years, or ten years, or fifteen years? So here we are, twenty seven, and there is still an interest in this kind of work. I don't know whether it's partly because we're a younger country or there's so many parts of our history that haven't been brought out because of colonialism or because of power structures that don't like some of those things to be brought out. But well, it also could be just because it's really great theater, Robert Winslow. Yeah, I know. It's, it's good because it's about individuals and families, but it's also about cultures and his, historical movements and... And the complexities of of the tensions that are there. Mm -hmm. I always think that's one of the strengths in the fourth line productions is that there's never just one point of view. Right. Yeah. Now, I know one of the ways that you have worked with community and related to community in your practice has been to engage, you know, local kids in mm -hmm. the productions, um, retired people mm -hmm. as volunteers um, in terms of managing things, but also on stage. But mm -hmm. I wondered if you could explain a little bit to people who are listening about the development of some of the plays and how you use um, oral history and storytelling. In yeah, your we have this thing called the community reminiscence, which is more formal now uh, than it was when we started. For me, it was just, you know, in the first, I just would interview whoever I could interview that was connected to the story. But now we have these community reminiscences where we gather people in a community to talk about a particular story or mm -hmm. a series of stories. For example, we did a play a few years ago about a bank robbery in Havelock in 1961 or two. So we gathered people from Havelock who had witnessed that, who worked in the wow. bank, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when we did a play in, you know, 10, oh, now it's 13 years ago now about Bernardo children, we interviewed people uh, who have that heritage and there was a local group just up just up the street in Bernardo near near, near the studio that are uh, descendants of Bernardo children who continue to meet and talk about that heritage so we always go to uh, a source for the stories and we get those people involved and engaged right off the bat and then of course because we have large-scale casts we have a lot of young people and retired people and professional actors working together and they're all learning about the local history as they do the plays and that's exciting for them like when we did the play about the bernardo children i think we had 28 children in that play three wow. of which were the leads in that play and yeah it's 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 been a real when you said earlier a community effort it's certainly a community effort you know it's about the people and by the people so what's coming up this summer? What are the plays? Right, well, we're, we're doing a play that we've done twice before, once the first time in 1997, 20 years ago, and then again in 2004 called Crow Hill, which is about a, a, a how the local telephone technology came to rural communities through country doctors. So the main character is a woman who's a switchboard operator and, uh, and, the, and her doctor that, that, that brings that to the community. And it really takes you through the sort of early 20th century up to probably the 1950s and the changes that were happening. It's a really revolutionary culture. moment, the telephones coming Absolutely. In. It was a big, just as now with, with computer technology mm -hmm. and, and communications technology, it's kind of another, another phase of that kind of quick change, right? <laughs> 
Uh, and the other play we're doing is, is uh, again, we've got this series now of, um, of looking at, 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 not contentious, but more some difficult issues in Canadian culture. And it's called Who Killed Snow White? by Judith Thompson, and this play's been mm. in development for four years, and it's about, based on cases of, of bullying, and in this case, a very a very uh, extreme case of, um, of sexual harassment and violation mm-hmm. that ended up getting put on the internet, and uh, then the, uh, in the case of, this, you know, the stories are based on, in some cases, people, you know, committed suicide because these images were put all over everybody's... Uh, everybody's uh, iPhone. It was unbearable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is a play that's that's really going to probably challenge but also maybe be instructive for for families or people that have children or or for teenagers. It's a largely young cast um, and it explores this, it explores... uh, you know, contemporary, uh, a contemporary issue. We did a play a few years ago called St. Francis of Millbrook, which is about a young man b- growing up gay in Cavan. Um, and so we're, we're working into these, our mandate, which is historical now as well, plays that, that explore contemporary uh, social and political and cultural issues. Well, and people can learn about that because it's not like these issues are coming from nowhere. They've been around for a long time. Absolutely. Robert, if people want to find out um, more about the Fourth Line Theatre, what's the website address? Where can they go? I think it's fourthlinetheatre.on.ca and with a four. Okay. Oh, four T-H line theater, spelled the Canadian way, (laughs) Uh, .on.ca. I believe that's correct, and our information is... Our website, I believe, is is good shape in terms of letting people know what's coming up, uh, you know. And and this is an exciting year for us because, uh, thanks to the Trillium Foundation, we're going to be doing some off-season programming, uh, two environmental shows, one around Halloween and one around Christmas, um, both in the Millbrook area, uh, both which means being outside at that time of year. So this is a big year for us. It sounds fantastic, and I can tell you there there really isn't a more fabulous theater experience to be had than out at the fourth line, whether you're in the barnyard, in the field, or in the woods. It's it's always remarkable, both in terms of the immersive environment and the theatrical production. Take advantage of the fact that you're so close to the fourth line theater and get out there this summer. Keep in mind that it took Robert Winslow a number of pathways to find a career in theatre, but he did it, and he's doing it for 40 years here at home in Peterborough and the surrounding region, out at the Fourth Line Theatre. Thank you so much for coming in today, Robert. Thank you for for, uh, doing this interview. It's wonderful. Our pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Robert Winslow from the Fourth Line Theatre for that interview. In addition to their website, fourthlinetheatre.on.ca, You can find The Fourth Line on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can watch trailers for Fourth Line plays, as well as artist talks presented by The Fourth Line. And now it's time for the answer to our trivia question. What was the first year that the Fourth Line Theater produced The Winslows of Derry Vore? The answer is 1995. We'll be continuing our theatre series in our next episode, where we'll be speaking with M. Glasspool from Mysterious Entity Theatre and Amy Cummings from Theatre Trent. Now to close our show, a song by Rose Aaron Stokes, 
Be My Escape is from her 2018 album, Wherever I Go. to be my escape When the days are long and it gets hard to take We can crack a bottle and throw our cares away Oh, won't you be my escape Oh, won't you be my disguise we can cast away all of that judging eyes We can let the day pass until it becomes night Oh, won't you be in disguise? Oh, won't you be my release? The cares that keep you up at night The guy losing sleep I'm letting the moments pass on by before me Oh, won't you be my release? That's all for this week's episode of the Electric City Culture Cast. My name is Sue Ditta, and I'm the executive director of EC3. That's the Electric City Culture Council. We broadcast every other Wednesday at 7 p.m. through the facilities of Trent Radio at 92.7 on your FM dial. The Electric City Culture Council is supported by a number of organizations, and we'd like to say thanks for the generous support from the City of Peterborough, the Ontario Trillium Foundation, the Ontario Arts Council, and Canadian Heritage. We'd also like to thank our board of directors and volunteers and the great people 
people at Trent Radio who made this broadcast possible.